0: You are listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father
1: Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach
0: Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 152. Today's reading is from John chapter 8, verses 31 through 42. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Early in today's reading in verse 33, we read, quote, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, end quote. And this is the response of the Jews to Jesus when he tells them that the truth will set them free. But we know they, like us today, are slaves to sin, so we often go about our lives without recognizing that we too often find ourselves enslaved to sin. So, Father, would you comment on this passage in its context,
1: Yeah, let me begin by saying we can see from a passage like this why Jesus was despised by his enemies, those who were self-righteous, because he's really poking them in the eye, so to speak, in, in discussions like this. So Jesus is really coming after them, and I think what's so hard for this crowd is two things. First of all, most of the religious Jews were not used to being challenged on their spirituality. Okay, everyone looked at them as being extremely pious. So Jesus calling them out on their self-righteousness has got to be a hard pill to swallow. But in addition to that, notice how today's passage begins. It says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So he's speaking to people who had been with him up until this point, meaning this is even harder for them to hear.
0: That's an interesting observation, the fact that Jesus is challenging those who had believed in him up to that point. Why is it that he's challenging them and not the others? Well, yeah,
1: great question,
0: and it it really gets to the heart of what I try to tell
1: people about our preaching and teaching. You see, Jesus specifically, and the Bible more broadly, is challenging the insider. We often see the exact opposite today with Christians preaching against and condemning the outsiders, those who are not Christians. But the Bible is condemning the insider, and this is one of the things that makes it... Completely unique, to my knowledge anyway, there is no foundational text of a society or a group of people, a religion. No historical narrative that paints those people consistently in such a critical light. But that's exactly what the Bible does. People often consider the Bible to be a history of the Jews And yet that history is calling up on them to be self-critical. It's often belittling or showing the weakness and the sinfulness of their founding fathers, to use language we might use today about our own nation. And you see today in America how people get worked up when our founding fathers are criticized. Yet that's exactly what the Bible is doing to the founding fathers of Israel. And Jesus picks up on that Old Testament tradition And continues it in his preaching, he realizes that we're only able to impact those outside the community if we are self-critical of our own community, which means not that we are just critical, but that we are willing to confront our deficiencies and get our own house in order. How can we as the church hope to heal and save others if we ourselves are not being healed and saved ourselves?
0: Father, could you talk a little bit more about how Jesus goes about this and what he is uh, emphasizing to correct even those who had believed in him up to this point?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really important distinction, one that we've talked about in the past, but I believe always deserves close attention. Uh, Note what Jesus said at the opening of today's passage. If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This concept, this idea of abiding, is extremely important to what Jesus, and again, all of Scripture, is teaching us. why is that? Because the word abide is connected to the understanding that someone is living a certain way, or we might say that uh, they're behaving a certain way. The words abide and abode are actually closely related, and we know that an abode is a place where A person lives or dwells so the word abide has the clear meaning in this passage that to be a disciple of jesus we must actually live by his teaching that is to say to be his disciple it's not enough to just believe something in our brain and our head we must actually put it into practice now ultimately that's why jesus is being critical of his audience here they're not abiding by the teaching of god Sure, they attend the synagogue regularly, they read and are able to quote scripture well. You know, sure, they, they may keep some of the, or keep the uh, Jewish traditions and feasts, but Jesus' concern is that they do all of these external things, yet they're not behaving as God behaves and as he teaches us to behave. They are not loving the outsider. They're looking down on the lowly and the despised of society whom God loves. They put their trust in their own righteousness and do not rely upon God's mercy, and therefore they also
0: do not extend uh, the mercy of God to others. Father, that makes a lot of sense, but could you explain a little more about what Jesus means here by being a slave to sin? Sure. I think there are a couple of different things that could be
1: meant here depending on the situation. On the one hand, some people are enslaved to sin in the sense that they cannot seem to stop themselves from sinning. St. Paul of course, has that classic passage in Romans about how he wills to do certain things, but he finds himself not doing those things, but rather falling into sin. But I don't think that fully captures what it means to be a slave to sin. And so what else does it mean? I think being a slave to sin means more than just you happen to fall into certain sins. I think being a slave to sin means you let sin dominate your life. Now, what I mean by that is not so much that it It simply dominates your behavior. What I mean is that after sinning, that sin continues to dominate your thoughts and your understanding of yourself. So you see, if if you feel shame and guilt after you sin, then I think this indicates you're still at least to some degree a slave to sin. You're letting that sin continue to dominate your life even after it's passed. On the other hand, if after sinning you immediately recognize your mistake or your mistakes, and you ask for God's mercy, and you repent of that sin, and you do not beat yourself up over it because you recognize that you're a humble sinner and imperfect, then you are no longer a slave to sin. Yes, you're still a sinner, but you are not enslaved to it. It does not dominate your conscience. Moreover, once you get to that point of not relying on your own righteousness, then you're much, much more merciful to others. You realize that you have been saved by God's grace and not at all by your own works, and so you're compassionate and understanding of others and of their weaknesses, and you're quick to forgive, quick to show mercy and compassion.
0: That's a very helpful explanation, Father. Thank you for that. And moving on to a a slightly different topic, could you explain the significance of Abraham being referenced in this passage by both uh, those Jews that were following Jesus and also by Jesus himself? I think it makes sense that the Jews mentioned Abraham as their father, uh, so I don't know that you need to explain that, but, but what does Jesus mean when he says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did?
1: Yeah, again, great question that actually ties back into what we've been discussing and really isn't so much a new topic as you might think. Jesus here is referencing Abraham because Abraham is an example of repentance and learning to trust in God instead of his own righteousness.
0: How so, Father?
1: Well, remember, Abraham had been promised a son in his old age, back in the book of Genesis, but his wife, Sarah, was also old and barren. So God promised uh, him a son through Sarah. Uh, Abraham didn't believe God, so he and Sarah took matters into their own hands, instead of trusting in God to provide as he said he would, and thus Abraham has a son with Hagar, uh, and and so that he would have an heir, so with the uh, slave of Sarah. Well, God returns and tells Abraham that this son, Ishmael, the son he had with the slave Hagar, is not the heir that God had in mind. And so God tells him once again, you will have a son with Sarah. And, of course, we remember the story. Abraham laughs at this idea, but it does come through. It does come to pass. And so Abraham is then told to name the son that he has with Sarah Isaac, which means he laughs so that Abraham would be reminded of his disbelief for the rest of his life when he referred to Isaac. Well, we hear later in Genesis that Abraham had learned his lesson because God later challenges Abraham by telling him by telling Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, and Abraham realizes that if he does this, he's again going to be put in the position when he has no heir as God had promised him. But this time, Abraham is obedient. He trusts in God. He doesn't laugh it off. He doesn't say, I'm not going to do it. And so he proceeds forward trusting in God. And as we know from that story, God then intervenes. He tells Abraham not to sacrifice Isaac, that it was simply a test which Abraham passed. So here in today's passage, Jesus is challenging his followers to be like Abraham, to put their trust in God instead of trusting in themselves and their own righteousness.
0: Father, I'd like to conclude with uh, maybe some practical guidance, and, and specifically how we can better recognize our own sinfulness. And this, of course, with the ultimate goal of repentance on our part, but, but first we have to recognize the sin. Uh, and like a physician, we can't treat the disease until we have a diagnosis. Uh, but oftentimes, at least for me personally, I find myself oftentimes blind to it. Yeah, okay, so first of all, I would say that the Bible already
1: gives us the diagnosis, and that diagnosis is that we are a sinner, and every one of us has done things in our past that we regret or that we know was sinful, so we can clearly see how this diagnosis is correct. As, as Paul says, perhaps most succinctly, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And now the treatment for this diagnosis, as, as we've been discussing, is to admit, to recognize that because we're not perfect, We are in need of forgiveness. We're in need of mercy. And then finally, the cure is to extend this type of treatment, these merciful and forgiving behaviors to others, to treat them with the same mercy and compassion that we ourselves need from God. Now, I will say, I I think the challenging aspect is this, that we tend to get used to and comfortable with our own sins because it's something that we repeat through our habits and our instincts. So we sort of tend to minimize that type of sin over time. What we tend to struggle with is being merciful to others and to their sins, especially those that are different than ours. So when we see other people sinning, we're like the Pharisee, thanking God that we don't have their sin. And of course, as I said, we've already minimized our own sin in our mind. So the challenge then is recognizing that different people have different struggles, different shortcomings, different sin. We need to get out of this constant comparison of ourselves with others. We need to get out of that mindset of whether their sin is worse than our sin. According to St. Paul, it doesn't matter. We're all sinners, and we're all in need of mercy. That's what matters, is that we are in need of that grace, and therefore we also ought to extend that mercy and grace to others. And And the more that we share with others, the more that the grace and mercy increases even back to ourselves. It's not something grace and mercy, and not something of a finite quality. It can grow and multiply rapidly and infinitely.
0: Thank you, Father. Today's episode began by examining Jesus' statements to the Jews who had believed in him. We find Jesus challenging these same Jews and not the others. He's challenging the insiders, which is contrary to how society operates. Father Aaron stressed that we are only able to impact those outside of the community if we're willing to confront our own deficiencies and get our house in order. The Church cannot hope to heal and save others if we are not being healed ourselves. We then focused on the opening verse of today's reading where Jesus says, "...if you abide in my word." And that word abide is connected to the understanding that someone is living in a certain way. So it isn't enough for us to just believe that the gospel teaching is truth, but we must actually put it into practice. Father went on to discuss what is meant by being a slave to sin. This enslavement to sin means we allow it to dominate our life because we continue to feel shame and guilt. But if we recognize our mistakes and ask for God's mercy and repent of that sin, we can avoid beating ourselves up over it. We are a sinner, but we're not enslaved to our sin. And if we can get to the point where we no longer rely on our own righteousness, we will find ourselves much more merciful to others. We become more compassionate of others' weaknesses and are quick to forgive and show mercy. And just as Abraham is an example of repentance and learning to trust God, we too can learn to put aside our own righteousness and demonstrate our trust in God by abiding in His Word. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God and our hope, glory to thee.